0: 100 trillion gigabytes of data are created and consumed each year, an amount that's expected to double by 2025. The demand for data storage carries the need for significant physical space and power requirements in the form of digital data centers. DNA, though, may represent a solution to what some see as unsustainable growth with environmental consequences. DNA, it turns out, is a dense and durable way to store information. At the end of last year, Paris-based Biomemory launched its DNA cards, the first DNA data storage ever offered to the general public. The DNA memory cards, about the size of a credit card, may seem more like a curiosity than a viable solution. At $1,000 each, they can store a kilobyte of data enough for about a single brief email we spoke to Erfan Awani, founder and CEO of Biomemory, about the use of DNA for data storage, how it works, and how quickly the technology can scale to where it competes with today's data storage infrastructure. Erfan, thanks for joining us. Hello, how are you? We're going to talk about using DNA to store data, how it works, and why it has distinct advantages over current electronic data storage. Let's start with the way data is generally stored today and the financial and environmental cost of storing all of that data that way. How much data storage is used today, and and how is that growing? Um, Well, this is
1: an interesting question because we know that we produce every year around 100 zettabytes, However, we don't store all those 100 zettabytes because it's costly. So, we know that um, currently installed storage capacity is around 7 zettabytes only.
0: And and what is a zettabyte for listeners who may not be familiar with that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. So, in one zettabyte, you have 1,000 exabytes. And, of course, an exabyte also is a bit... Uh, Something uh, so different from what you hear every day. So, in one exabyte, you have 1000 petabytes, and in a petabyte, you have uh, 1000 terabytes. So, it means that in in one zettabyte, you have uh, 1 billion uh, hard drives from your typical laptop.
0: 1 billion, okay. How is that data generally stored today and, and what's the consequence of, of all of that data?
1: Yeah, generally today, you store all this data on uh, three medium, um, HDDs, flash memory, and old-fashioned tapes. So representing uh, for HGDs and SSDs around 1.5 million units currently installed. Uh, not millions, sorry, billions.
0: And, and in terms of uh, what does it take to do that? In terms of physical space, energy, you know, other other impacts of actually keeping all that data stored.
1: Well, it's very very difficult to quantify. Uh, however, we know that most of the storage in um, um, the enterprise, um, uh, most of the enterprise storage is in data centers. And we know that data centers consume around between 2% and 4% of the total electricity demand in the world. However, uh, we don't know exactly what is the percentage um, data storage currently consume in a data center, because it, it depends on the data center you're addressing, and in data centers, you half of the energy is basically for cooling the data center.
0: And I, I imagine most people, just looking at their own cell phone and their own computer, can see how their personal use of data has been growing. But you know, what kind of volume of data growth are we we facing?
1: Um, that is uh, very simple. It doubles every three years. And that's been, it has been doubling for like two decades.
0: And, and as it doubles, what is the consequence of that from a storage point of view? From a storage point of view, um,
1: from a storage point of view um, all the biggest hyperscalers, all the biggest companies in the world, including Microsoft, Google, all those guys, they are telling us, that in 20 years it's unsustainable. It means that you cannot store at this rapid growth for uh, uh, um, too much longer from now. So we need to find solutions. We need to find solutions uh, outside of the um, electronic uh, perimeter.
0: You, You talked about different Means of storing data that are used today. I'm, I'm wondering if you just distinguish for people a, a, a term that's used. What is cold storage? what what what, what are what's done in cold storage versus uh, I don't know if the other form is called hot storage, but where where it's kind of living data in a sense. Today
1: you shouldn't see data as uh, something that is uh, static it moves uh, everywhere. So for example, when you generate your data first, it is generated in your CPU, so in your processor basically, in a very, very fast and efficient uh, memory uh, uh, um, um, uh, structure. However, uh, it leaves the processor very soon and it it will reach uh, other parts of uh, the system in a data center typically. And It's going, for example, to flash memories, then to HDDs, which are slower but less costly, and then to, for example, tapes. And the more you're going to um, uh, chip media, the more cold storage you are. It means that when your data is in cold storage uh, perimeter in your data center, you don't want to read it fast, but you want to keep it. And typically, what we say is when you are in the cold storage, you read 1% of your data every three years. Very different from hot storage, where you need to access it several times, and probably you access it uh, 500% time every month, which is very different.
0: So about 70% of all data storage today is on these cold storage like tape. What is the cost of maintaining that?
1: Um, Let me just tell you that um, most of the cold storage is not on tape. Because tape is difficult to use. Uh, Tape is is efficient when you need to store a lot of data, but not all the companies want to store a lot of data. Some of them just want to store a few petabytes. And when you want to store only a few petabytes, tapes, difficult. So, cold storage is going to HDDs and SSDs most of the time. However, we can quantify what is the market of tapes. And tapes uh, represent between 4 and 7 billions.
0: Four and seven billion Um, dollars per year, dollars per year. Wow, yes. Why would someone want to store data in DNA rather than the use of existing technology? Um,
1: because um, today, uh, we know that we need to keep the data, all the companies in the world are the biggest companies, and know that, uh, with. Uh, a new uh, a way to, to to industrialize, for example, using AI, you need to to keep your data. Until now, most of the companies, and some of them I was working for, they just threw away the data because they could not keep it. It was too expensive to keep it. So now they are looking for solutions to keep more data. And they're looking at different technologies and it feels that for them, tape is not good enough because too difficult to use, and too unsustainable, and also too expensive. So they are looking for very different technologies, like, of course, DNA and other uh, technologies using more uh, molecular system than electronic system.
0: One thing about DNA is the ability to store tremendous amounts of information in very little space. Can you quantify that for listeners? How dense a storage medium is DNA?
1: Um, basically, um, if you do the theory, it's one zettabyte per gram, but that's just theory. Um in reality, you could put one exabyte of data in a single rack of a data center. So uh, it is just to, to to help you understand. When you store one bit of information on a HDD, um, you are using around 1 million atoms, and it's in 2D. When you're storing data on DNA using 50 atoms, and those 50, 50 atoms, you can uh, have them in 3D. So the density difference would be 10 million times.
0: So I, I, I've heard some some analogies to how much space it would take to, to store all of our existing data on DNA, but is there a visualization you could share?
1: Yeah, your smartphone would be enough to store all the data today maybe five five times the data, the volume of your smartphone. But again, it's not usable like that. You need to physically access portions of the data you want to to get. So um, to be more um, uh, to be more clear, uh accessing all those data uh, correctly, efficiently probably uh, a truck
0: would be enough. Biomemory just launched the first personal DNA-based data storage for the public. This is a credit card-sized storage device. How does it work? Walk us through the process of storing a message and recalling it.
1: Yeah, uh, just to begin with, uh, this uh, DNA card, we wanted it to to, to be out because there were no... um, Product available to the market with DNA data storage, only, only proof of concepts, and we wanted to be, to to, not to be the first because that was not really in our mind, but to prove that it's possible to have a product consumer oriented with DNA data storage. So um, to get uh, your uh, DNA card and to get this information on on a DNA card, um, this is rather simple you have your uh, data, your message, for example, a text file, and you put the text file in our system, and our system will translate this text file into a succession of ATCNGs, representing the nucleic acids of the DNA. And then, using a robot, we manufacture the molecules and put the molecules dried into a single well and this well is placed in a chip and the chip on a frame that looks like um, a banking card. We choose the banking card because uh, we think that it, it fits very well in a wallet. And then we send two of those cards, identical cards, to the consumer because we want the consumer to be able to read it back. And today reading your chip on the DNA card is destructive. So we gave the option to the consumer to read it back and we teamed up with um, a big laboratory to do so.
0: The biomemory device cost almost uh, $1,100 and and can store the equivalent of a kilobyte of text, roughly a, a short email message. From a, a practical point of view, it, it doesn't appear that this would be a big market demand, but what's the point of releasing this as a commercial product now?
1: There were no complete integration of any DNA data storage product on the market. And um, we wanted to to start with something, to have KPIs on something and improve it every three months. And um, that's we are what we are doing. So today it's one kilobyte with what can say, everlasting data, which is enough for some of the use cases. Some of our clients, we have more than 100 clients now uh, of this uh, DNA card. It wasn't expected at all. We, we, we prepared ourselves for maybe 10 clients and we have 100, a lot more than 100 actually. Um, but it is a starting point to, to do something. So next year, we'll get from one kilobyte to uh, 180 megabytes. And then we'll improve it each year until until reaching data centers with a system that is more complete, capable of handling one exabyte.
0: What do you expect the market for DNA storage to ultimately be in? And who would the likely customers be?
1: Um, you will have two different, two very different customers. So, uh, we've been talking about data centers. We call it cloud-based customers. So basically, you have today 8 million data centers, 500 of them are the biggest data centers from hyperscalers, like Azure, uh, Google, or AWS. those guys are looking for uh, very scalable um, systems to store maximum of data for the minimum price. So this is one kind of customer. We also have companies that are today trying to store more data like car manufacturers, like uh, plane manufacturers, banks, all those guys. And on the other side, we have customers that are doing um, edge computing. So they need to store data on um, outside of the data centers and directly on objects. And those guys are looking for uh, smaller amounts of data on DNA, but invisible and capable of being directly in, in an object. So we call it edge computing, edge storage computing.
0: There are a number of qualities people will look for in a data storage media. This includes things like reliability and security. How does DNA measure up in that regard? Um, DNA can
1: be preserved and it's proven. Uh, DNA can be proven. Uh, preserved for one million year. depending on how many molecules do you put in your well, so you put you can put uh, identical molecules of your DNA that are stored in a single well and preserve it for one million year, if, if you don't uh, uh, have your DNA in contact with oxygen, light and solvents. So it is very reliable and very readable after that. From a security perspective, um, what is interesting with DNA, if we want to add a layer of security uh, compared to what is existing today on the traditional media storage, storage media, sorry, um, you you can uh, add some uh, information to each of your nucleic acids. For example, you can add some kind of methylation. And this layer of security could um, add some um, very interesting authentication perspective to the DNA. And actually, we're doing that for some of our clients.
0: How much of a time and cost constraint is the writing of DNA today?
1: Today, it is very slow. Uh, in, we do it in our laboratory with our own robots, but um, what we're now uh, building is a a new system that can paralyze uh, building the different molecules of DNA data storage. And we expect to be able to uh, build uh, one terabyte per day uh, next year. And we want this system to reach one petabyte per day and per system at the end of the decade. So it is, yes, slow today. And of course, it's it's an emerging technology. So we need to begin with something. We're using that to address the first use cases that are compatible with this slowness and then we'll reach a little bit more mass markets um, uh, by the end of the decade.
0: And where do you ultimately see the cost of DNA storage moving and, and what will it take to get there?
1: Um, it's possible to to reach uh, 20 cents per terabyte, uh, which is... Uh, a lot less costly than uh, SSDs, for example, which is today, $60 per terabyte. Uh, on tape, probably around um, 10 to $15, uh, a little bit less now. Um, but uh, what is interesting is uh, out of those $0.20, cent, and you can add, add up some if you're doing the math in the data center, you want to add the system, the energy the system, etc., etc. But when you add all those things, it'll be cheaper the first year, but it, it'll be cheaper again and again and again the year uh, passing, because you don't have to uh, write again your DNA for the same data. Uh, with the, the, what, what we call in data center, you don't have to remaster, you don't have to take the data from a media, an old media, obsolescent media, and put it in another media. You don't have to do that because when you write data on DNA, it's everlasting data regarding um, uh, your, uh, uh, well, one million years is more than enough for humanity to to vanish. So we call it uh, everlasting data.
0: Biomemory is not alone in pursuing DNA storage, What does this field look like today? And and what have people been able to store in DNA so far? Um,
1: We know how to synthesize DNA. We've been knowing that for 40 years now, I think. Uh, But we've been using uh, petrochemistry to achieve uh, DNA synthesis. this is not scalable, uh, because when you're using petrochemistry, it, it has a cost, a cost of manufacturing, a cost of uh, recycling. It's not sustainable, so it doesn't work. So most of the companies doing a DNA data storage, they are doing petrochemistry. It means that they won't achieve um, uh, scalability um, very easily. So, we understood that in the first uh, weeks of uh, building biomemory, and we moved out completely from petrochemistry. And we're using biosourced um, uh, materials to build our DNA molecules. So, it means that it's possible to scale. And this is our main difference with any uh, company in this field. There is a second difference. Uh, what we do, is biosafe. It means that we are not playing with genomics, we're not doing genes, we're not doing base-per-base, we're doing block-per-block. And our block, even if you modify them, they cannot code for any protein. It means that this DNA cannot be expressed and we cannot code for a virus or a toxin that could be harmful for nature. So those two differences I think are very important for the market. And when we see customers asking us those two things first, how do you scale and how do you secure your DNA? Is it alive? This is the first question I have in meetings. Is your DNA alive? No, DNA is a molecule and our molecule cannot be handled by life. It's impossible.
0: Is there some tipping point you see us working towards what, will it take to turn this into a, a, a broadly used technology? Um, to, to,
1: to, to reach mass markets, of course, there is first a question of price. If the price is not below, and we estimated the price should be below uh, $2, won't work. For the mass market. And this is not enough, price is not enough. The main challenge is to integrate all those very different technologies into a single system to correctly handle DNA. For example, um, the writing process of DNA is very different from the reading process. Those two technologies are very different. On one side, you have polymerization. On the other side, you're using, for example, nanopores. Two different um, technologies that today do not work together. And then you have to interface with existing technologies in data centers, for example. And data centers and the storage industry uh, are... um, it's it's a very old industry. So those guys, they have a lot of standards. And you need to be compatible with those standards to start with. If you do not, um, well, DNA data storage will stay in laboratories. And we don't want that.
0: What do you think DNA storage will ultimately enable us to do?
1: Um, ultimately... What I see in the data storage is not the storage itself. Um, I see it as part of um, uh, what I call molecular computing. And molecular computing uh, is uh, a way to be able to go further without electronics. Today, for example, uh, we have uh, a hype uh, with AI, but we need to train our AI. And to train your AI, you need, of course, a large data set, and then you need to compute on the data set. And ultimately, what I see with DNA is, of course, large data set of storage, but um, a, a way to compute it I mean, DNA can be computed by bacteria, for example. And bacteria, you can grow them. You don't have to, to build them like transistors in, in a processor. So it's highly, highly effective when you need to compute. And you can parallelize a lot. And what I see is the same... Um, um, Power in a single mug you have on your table, on your desk, then you can have uh, with hundreds of matter of uh, Nvidia H100 cards and uh, half a billion data center with it. Um, so, for example, just your brain, your brain is capable of compute like uh, better than a super calculator on some aspects. And it takes only uh, 20 watts to do that. Only 20 watts. So for me, um, all those molecular technologies, and I put DNA in those technologies, it's a way to compute. First to store, then to
0: compute. Biomemory at the end of 2022 raised 5.4 million in a seed financing round, How is this funding being used, and how far will it take you?
1: Um, We use this funding to uh, build a team of experts, mostly biologists. Uh, We optimized uh, our process to be uh, completely uh, petrochemistry-free and cell-free, So it's compatible now with data centers on the process side. However, now we're mutating this team into a system team. So computer scientists and storage experts teaming up with biologists to uh, build the first uh, readily available system, uh, storage system for data center. And we're raising some more money to do it.
0: Erfan Awani president and co-founder of Biomemory. Erfan, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.